0: Good morning. Good, morning. Good morning. My name is Clayton. Um, my last name's a little hard to remember, but it's Liney Weber. And I'd like to take a moment or two, if you don't mind, to to have a word of prayer before we begin our session t- together. Okay? If you don't mind, let's bow our heads. Our loving Father, which art in heaven, what a privilege it is to be one of your children, Lord. And thank you so much that you have brought us all together here today. We ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit will be the one that does the teaching, Lord, that each one of us will learn, including myself. Guide and direct in all that is said to give you the honor and glory and no one else. Thank you again for this opportunity to be here. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. you should have gotten a, a, one of these little bookmarks. If you um, didn't, um, we have a few more at the door. Uh, we also will have them at the Oklahoma Academy booth. Um, I'm actually a teacher at Oklahoma Academy, and of course my subject that I teach is the sanctuary. And um, for the last um, 15 years, I've been at Oklahoma Academy, and the last... Uh, Ten or so years, we've been. We have this large sanctuary that we built back in, actually 1995 is when it was built. Before I moved to the school, and that sanctuary is full, the full size. It's exactly the way it would have been if you were in the uh, Israel's day and you would have seen the sanctuary. Now, of course, there's can be an argument there, and understand that I'm more about giving the information that I can receive from the scriptures and share what I can't get from the scriptures and everybody else wants to elaborate on I have to kind of just smile and say okay but I have to stick with the scriptures because um, we take the sanctuary out there and when I was built at the scale there was several different options to use for the cubit size and um, so we went with the standard size so there's there's room for error there. I'm using 18-inch, okay? Whether it was more or less, but it, we get the idea this is pretty close to the size it would have been. And we travel around and we meet lots of people, and as we meet the people, um, we just show them how the sanctuary applies, how, how it worked back in those those days. And um, one of the thing is... Um, I have an author that's my favorite author, and it's Alan G. White. And, um, and I get that paper that you have there is a quote. And that quote is kind of a, a reason why I believe the sanctuary is so um, interesting today like it is. And so many people, when we travel with it, want to know about the sanctuary. Um, just so you do know, the sanctuary Uh, We do have three full models, and sometimes we have all three going at the same time, and we travel into other parts of the the world as well. And so the reason why I'm telling you this is I want you to walk away today not looking at what I am doing, looking at what God is doing and how valuable the sanctuary message really is to his last day church. Sometimes I think we throw it into the Old Testament and we forget that it's in the New Testament as well. And so we're going to examine some things and uh, unfortunately we only have one hour. And so there's no way I'm going to be able to share with you everything that there is. So there's some things I'm going to just bring out and let you look into some of those things to further your knowledge later to get to the points that I'm trying to get at through this afternoon. I mean, through this, this meeting this morning. Now, the quote that you have there on that um, piece of paper, uh, that, on your um, bookmark says, there are many precious truths contained in the Word of God. And just so, just so we don't just read it without understanding, this is the Word of God. Do you agree there's many precious truths contained in the Word of God? That's exactly. It just says here, but it is present truth that the flock needs now. And so I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, wow. Because flocks, that's we're starting to get into imagery here. And Jesus says, I have sheep that are where? That's right, they're in other folds. And so I'm thinking from the standpoint of being in the church in the last day, and she's saying this, there's many precious truths contained in the word of God, but it's precious truth that the flock needs now. So I'm thinking about those in the other churches as well, as not just in the church, but also the other churches. So this verse, this is, is not just for, for you and I. She goes, I have seen the dangers of messengers running off from the important points of present truth to dwell upon subjects that are not calculated to unite the flock and sanctify the soul. So here she's saying, you know, there are lots of things in here that are precious truths. But you need to unite the flock. The flock, you know, think about it. He's going to come, right? He has to unite us at some point. The people have to be united. But he says... um, the subject, so we're gonna go on and it says, now by the way, Satan takes advantage of that. When you and I get sidetracked onto something that's not present truth, and we go way off into it and spend all this time and energy into it, Satan's the one that's getting getting the he's the one that's benefiting from this because you've gotten off of what God has designed for us to do to unite the flock. Okay? So remember that's really our purpose. Okay? But it goes on to say, but such subjects as the sanctuary, now Naturally, I would find one that says the sanctuary because I talk talking the sanctuary, right? But it doesn't just say the sanctuary. It says the sanctuary in connection with the 2300 days. So now we're dealing with the, the prophecies as well, right? Okay. And the commandments of God, Ten Commandments, the commandments of God, and the faith of Jesus. Now, the faith of Jesus, we don't really hear a lot about the faith of Jesus. It's kind of, but it, but it does say in the Revelation here are they that keep the key commandments of God and have the. Faith of Jesus, so it is something that plays a role in the end. So um, the, these are the subjects right here, he um, goes on to say, are um, perfectly calculated to explain the past Advent movement, okay? And show what our present position is, establish the faith of the doubting, and give certainty to the glorious future. These I have, how often? That's the key. She says, I've frequently seen this. Now, this was spoken to Ellen G. White years ago. So, in other words, this is something that, she, that we ourselves should be paying attention to. We're the principal subjects on which the messengers should dwell. So that's why I think the sanctuary message and the sanctuary being set out in the communities meets such good um, reviews, so to speak, and people come to see it is because God has designed this as being part of what God is going to use in the last days to unite his flock, okay? So keeping that in mind, now there's another one I want to read to you. It's on the back side of it. It says, the subject of the sanctuary and the investigated judgment should be clearly understood by the people of God. Again, I have to stop and say, wait a minute. It's not just those in our church that he's referring to. He's referring to all of his people, So as I'm looking at this, I'm saying the the subject of the sanctuary and the vesting should be uh, understood by the people of God. All need a knowledge for themselves of the position and work of their great high priest. Now you're starting to see that this is kind of an important thing. Listen to what it says. It says, otherwise it will be impossible. Now, if God says something's impossible, don't try to change what God says. He says what you need to understand. Because otherwise it will be impossible for them to exercise the faith, which is essential at this time, or to occupy the position which God designs them to fill. That's why I'm going to spend some time with you on the sanctuary, okay? I won't tell you everything. I don't know everything about the sanctuary. I'm still learning myself, and I've been doing this for 20 years. But what I will share with you is this, that God says His way is in the sanctuary, and that's just that's enough for me to see if god's ways in the sanctuary who doesn't want you to know about the sanctuary so now that's right so it's the best it's in his best interest for us not to know the sanctuary so note that right away let's know let's start to know what it is because it's in, he doesn't now if he doesn't want something i want to be against him not god okay thy way oh god is in the sanctuary now i want to give you a visual because he doesn't just speak in words, he also speaks in symbols and visual, okay? And he, when he told them to make the sanctuary, just look at how, what he said. He says, make it after the pattern, okay? So God gave them the colors, he gave them the sizes, and all of these things. He didn't just say, make, some, make me a building and um, put it in, the, in a courtyard. And he says, make it this size. So all of these things have something because it's telling the story of the plan of redemption to save mankind so if you understand that now granted I don't understand all the things God pictured here but as I'm sharing things with you in your study what you study things are going to pop out that you've picked up on already okay now I put a cross right there at the entrance of the of the gate there to illustrate the entrance, going into the sanctuary. Remember, God's ways in the sanctuary. So we're going to look at, we're going to go into the sanctuary. So I put it right there at the entrance. And God created the world as well. And I noticed that the sun gets up, comes up in the east and it travels to the west. And so I'm looking at nature telling me the direction, the light is leading me in, to west, it's going west. As I'm looking at this, the sun comes up. And now as the sun comes up, in the beginning, it's going to illuminate the cross upon the ground, casting a shadow. And so as I looked at that shadow, many of you have probably already seen this, but that shadow will touch every piece of furniture in the sanctuary, including the arms will be here where you come to the candlesticks in the table of showbread and all the way into the most holy place. So you have this shadow that is on the ground. Now, I want to establish this thought in your mind as we're going to go through some verses. You'll see that that pathway is the path back to God, okay? That's the shadow that goes in. The shadow, if you visualize the shadow, anything, if you go off to the side of the shadow, you're going to fall down a cliff. You go to this side of the shadow, you're going to fall down the cliff. So knowing that, if you're going to go into the path, God's way is in the sanctuary, and you're going to enter into the sanctuary, you're going to have to touch every piece of furniture on your way in. You can't bypass Every piece of furniture there. And the, symbolically, it's very, it, it means a lot. Because when we look at every piece of furniture, why did God say put that piece of furniture first? Why is it sitting right there as you watch into, into the, the sanctuary? Well, one of the first things I, I see is there's a pile of ashes just in front of the altar of sacrifice. Just giving you an example. Ashes. Okay? The ashes... ...are the end result of what you put upon the altar of sacrifice... ...representing the sin. So reality, you're putting the sin representation on the altar of sacrifice... It's burned to ashes and it's placed there on the outside. So the first thing you do when you walk in, you see the pile of ashes... ...you see the end result of your sins. It's going to be burned to ashes. But what does it say? It says in the scriptures, um, our sins shall be what? Separated us as far as the east is from the west... Now, did you get the imagery? East gate, the ashes, the sins are separated from us as far as the east is from the west, where you find God in the west. You see, the imagery is there. The the, the scriptures are loaded with things that you find answers into the sanctuary, okay? So we'll move on. Now, this is John, uh, in John chapter one. It's a verse that we all know, but I'm gonna show you some imagery here, okay? It says, let not your heart be troubled, Ye believe in God, believe also in me, right? Then it goes on to say, in my Father's house are many mansions. So I want to stop there for a moment and show you what he's just told us, okay? And we're going to see some more in a moment. Do you remember when Jesus walks into the earthly sanctuary and he's walked into there and they're selling the sheep and the oxen, the goats there? He says to them, he says unto them, that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my, what does it say? father's house so what i want to do is open your mind to the fact that that's god's house we're talking about the sanctuary that people uh got to see in the earth is nothing more than a pattern after one that god lives in okay so so it makes the connection a little bit makes the sanctuary a little more important doesn't it because it's it brings it down to the fact that's where god dwells in his heavenly sanctuary Go, going on with that verse, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to repair a place for you. Okay. Then he, then he goes on to saying, if I go to repair a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Now listen to what he says next. And whether I go, ye know, and the way ye know. So Jesus is saying he's going to go to the Father, and he's he's basically saying you should know where I'm going. You, But look what Thomas says. Lord, we know not whether thou goeth, and how can we know the way? That's when Jesus basically says what it says in Psalm 77, 13. But now he's saying it here in um, verse 6 of chapter 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father but by me. So now let's examine this. He basically pointed the disciples back to the sanctuary. God's ways in the sanctuary. We need to know. He points back to the sanctuary. He says, I am the way. And the only way into the sanctuary is the gate. And so he brings you in. Now, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. So reality is the Bible is describing your path, your walk back to God. And the sanctuary is the path that is referring to. So when you start reading these terms, the path, thy way, go back to the sanctuary, plug it in. See what he's trying to tell us in the sanctuary. And then he says, um, so we find the gate is the only way in. Okay, now go, the rest of the verse says, and the truth, right? Well, that brings me to the next door. The next door goes into the most holy place. In the most holy place is where you find bread. Bread is a representation of the word of God. The word of God is truth, right? He says, I am the way. I'm the way in. I am the truth. And he says, also, I am life. Matthew um, 4, 4, for those who wanted to know, is the verse I, I just quoted. Okay? But I am life. That's the veil. On the other side of the veil is where you find God. And if you go in God's presence... You'll, you'll die unless you've had the process of going through every other piece of furniture, separating you from sin, preparing you to meet God on the other side. So I am the way, the truth, and the life is, um, is another verse saying the same thing as Psalm seventy-seven thirteen? Okay. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I, want, uh, I, I put that in to remind me to tell you this. Absolutely nothing you can do will ever put you in the kingdom. Even though we're looking at the sanctuary it looks like a bunch of works and, and things to do, understand something. Look at who's doing what. The priest, when they're doing it, represents Christ. And the priest did all the work. So this whole idea about having to do anything, you know, the sinner came and he did something. He gave his sin. It's like he cut it out and says, here it is, take it. Okay, so, so just understand it's because of Jesus, okay? All right. Now look at here. Now this one here is a common one. I want to put it to the sanctuary as well. It says here uh, in Matthew 7:13, Enter ye in at the straight gate. Okay, I've the picture of the gate there. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be that go in thereat. So there's there's a gate that's broad that a lot of people go at. Okay, now going on it says... Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth to life and few there be that find it. That straight and narrow path means that I visit that piece of furniture in my walk with God. I visit the next piece of furniture. I don't go around them. I stay on the path. I don't jump over these two and run into the holy place and work there in the holy place. I have to have this experience, otherwise I'm on the broad road. Now let me explain. Look at the next verse. This one's found in Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. Okay? But the ends thereof are the ways of death. Now, how would we... Imagine this. You're walking on a, down a road, and you know when you get to the end you're going to die. Or you can take this road and you will live. And you, knew, you know exactly which one to take. Are you going to take the road where you're going to die? Absolutely not. So why are so many people on the broad road? Because it seemeth right. So what I'm saying is we're dealing with people who are on the walk back to God. We're not dealing with those that are on the path that are not on the path at all. The statement that we have in Matthew 7, 13 is, there is there's a straight and narrow path that leads to God, and which leads to eternal life, but there's a broad road that leads to death. And that's the sanctuary. The sanctuary teaches us how we can know if we're on the broad road or on the narrow road. Here's another verse that you can, you can tie into the sanctuary. It's in the Old Testament. Psalms 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. There's the gate. And into his courts with praise. Okay? And so the question is, why would I enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise? because I am the sinner and there's no way I can have eternal life without the savior. And so the idea is I brought my lamb. And bringing my lamb, I should be I come into here because I know now I can have life eternal. It's a, it, it's not fun to have to kill the lamb. No. It's not fun to know that Jesus had to die. No. But it is exciting to know that he died in my place. I don't have to because he's already done it. That's why this is exciting. Okay. Now, that's, there's several more examples, but we need to move on. God's way is in the sanctuary, so Satan will try to keep us from learning God's way. So understand that God's gonna, Satan's going to do all he can to, to get us off the path or to get us on to some other thing other than what's important for us to get our lives right with God as we move in closer to God in the sanctuary. In that one year, God illustrated um, basically Earth's history. So basically, if you think about it, they brought their lambs in, all those lambs pointed to Jesus dying. And at the end of that was the day of atonement, which was a day in which everybody's sins are going to be cleansed. Then they're going to take the scapegoat and lead it out. That represents sin being gone, Satan being just um, tied to the bottomless pit. So then the next day, they'd bring their lambs in again. And they repeat that story. It's a yearly cycle that kept repeating itself. But when you got to the yearly service, the Day of Atonement, when you got to that particular one, that one there was talk is is the one that we're at. That's where we are right now in our history. So right now we're at the point that they talked about in the yearly service, okay? Which is the judgment. What has to happen after that is going to be this Jesus coming, the scapegoat being dealt with, which is Satan being um, tied to the bottomless pit for the thousand years. that sort of thing, and then he goes to heaven, then he comes and destroys sin completely, okay, so all, so we're at this point right now in this story right here, okay, now in Amos 3, 7, it says this, now we're going to go into some other prophecies here, it says, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secrets unto the servants, the prophets, so we have a promise here given to us that he's going to reveal, and he has through the sanctuary. He to- he's told us what would take place, and Jesus fulfilled every piece of furniture and, 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 the, and the time prophecies there. But, there's, but that's not the only prophecy that talks about the judgment and talks about where we are in Earth's history. Okay? For prophecies came not in old time by the will of man, so man themselves did not make these things up. Uh, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we find this in 2 Peter 1, 21. So the prophecies were not made up by man. So therefore, if God gave them, then they have to come true. They have to come true, okay? And we're going to look at a couple of them in a few minutes. Now, you remember this, the uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now, this one here is found in Daniel chapter 2. And as we, you studied out, we see... Um, exactly the kingdoms that, that are going to exist in earth's history. And it brings us down to a stone that's going to be cut out and it's going to hit the, hit the feet and it's going to destroy the image. That is also a story of earth's history, okay? It doesn't give you a whole lot more detail, but we do know that everything exactly how it's been predicted by, um, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream has come true. We're waiting for the one thing to take place, and that is for the stone, that's Jesus' second coming. So in the one with the, with the sanctuary, we have the day of atonement we're in. We're waiting for Jesus' coming. Same thing here. Okay, now Daniel 7, another story. This was Daniel's dream. And it, you remember the dream, the, the, the lion, the, the bear, the bear um, uh, and, the, and the leopard, and also that um, dreadful beast there. They're all basically the same thing. If you study these prophecies out, you'll find out they're actually saying the same prophecy. The only thing is this one here gives you a little more information. It talks about a judgment taking place at the very end. And that's where we're at. You see? So now we're at, that, we're, we're at this one. The only thing left is for the saints to possess the kingdom. Another prophecy that's come clear to the end. Okay? And then here's another one in Daniel chapter 8. Same thing. Another story. Um, giving the, the, Im- the image there and the, and the, um, and the ram and the he-goat, and the little horn coming between the ten toes, and all this kind of stuff. All of these things are predicted to take place, and during that time was to be the cleansing of the sanctuary. That's at the end of the 2300 days. That's where we're, we're into that point again. The only thing left is to get rid of the, um, the, uh, the little horn being broken without hands. That's Christ's second coming. And the term without hands you see um, often representing... Um, Dealing with God. Now, um, in 1 Peter 4.17, it's going to, um, um, the, uh, the comments could be very easily thought of, a judgment. God's not going to judge us. Well, here it says it is. It's going to be a judgment according to 1 Peter 4.17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And then another one here in Acts chapter 17.31. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in Righteousness. Then again it says uh, in Romans 2, 16, in the day when God shall judge the, the secrets of man by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So that there is going to be a judgment. There's, there's another story that's that's kind of that's kind of gone over and kind of forgotten. And it's the seven, this is the seven feast days. And so the feast days, the, the imagery is there as well. And I'm gonna it's also a it's a time prophecy of earth's history. Some of them have taken place already. In fact, there's seven of them. Five have already uh, met their fulfillment. One that we're in the middle of. And there's one yet to come. Okay? So we're going to take a look at these uh, briefly. Now, just so you do know, they're they're separated into two groups. You have four that are in the um, springtime, and you have three that are in the fall time. Okay? Now, the Passover is the first one. Now, the Passover starts at the um, um, early springtime, which is somewhere at the end of March, 1st of April, okay? Now, it says here in Exodus 12, 3, Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month shall, uh, they shall take to them every man a lamb. So we get in this picture that, that they're, they're, they're to select a lamb. Now, the lamb represents who? You remember John sitting there baptizing people and he looks over at Jesus and he says, Behold the lamb that take away the sin of the world. So the idea of a lamb taking away the sin of the world doesn't make any sense. But if you know the sanctuary and you understand that they use the lamb to, to deal with the sin problem, now understanding that the lamb makes more sense that it represents Christ, okay? So they were select the lamb on the tenth, And um, it's going to be without blemish. Now remember, they raised the sheep. And the and the, and the, the lambs, okay, um, they they raised them to um, use um, in their economy, and so they were to take the best one they had. It couldn't be one that was about ready to die, and so you can imagine this was a this really did go into their pocketbook, so to speak, to to do this selecting that lamb, and so they were to select it without blemish because. Any spots on the lamb or any defaults of the lamb would represent the sin. We're dealing with symbols now. And Jesus had no sin. So therefore, they had to choose a lamb that would represent the one who would come and save us from, from our sins. Okay? okay? So you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. So basically, what we have is that the whole congregation kills their lamb on the same day, at the same time. Okay, looking at a, at a um, calendar... Now, I'm going to place the date, um, the 10th day, on the Monday. Because as we look further on, you're going to see that it gives us the time of the week that Jesus died. And we're, we're comparing this to Jesus' day. Because why would we do the Passover? For what purpose? Just go. God isn't a God that just says, hey, go kill a bunch of lambs. God didn't it, it didn't please him that lambs were dying. But it was something to tell the story so God's people would not lose track. And so here we have on the 10th, you have the lamb selected, okay? Then it was held up and kept separate, but it was slain on the 14th, which would have been Friday, okay, during Jesus' time. All right, now this is when, let's look at Jesus' day and let's see the comparisons here. This is found in John 11, 47, I'm sorry. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees at council and said, what do we for this man doeth many miracles. Now he's talking about Jesus. Jesus was doing miracles. He had raised Lazarus from the dead. And people and he walked into the, the, the city and people were people were people um, threw their coats down and singing Hosanna. And Jesus was getting the fame of the people. He was healing people. When you go to the cities, some cities had no betty sick left in it. When he, and now these guys, because of the fame of Jesus, they're worried. They gathered together. And he goes on to say, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and the nation. Now, we're looking back from it, from the standpoint of seeing what has taken place in history. So we have a little bit of an advantage over those that were alive when Jesus came. They, they did not accept Jesus as the one coming, as being the Lamb. And they were afraid that they were going to lose their status. And they were more concerned about their status than they were Jesus coming. Okay? So this, this is the problem that we have here. They're afraid that they're going to take, take their place away. Okay? Then going on, it says, and one of them named Caiaphas. Now, Caiaphas is going to be the... He is the high priest. Okay? Now, the high priest... Now, in the sanctuary service, the high priest was the highest position you can have before you come to the point of being God yourself. In other words, he was the highest representative of God here upon this earth. He's the high priest. And what I find interesting is that Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said unto them, you know nothing at all. So here's the high priest saying saying to them, you don't know anything at all because, he says, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. So Caiaphas, being the high priest, who is actually... Trying to kill Jesus, he's now making the statement of selecting the lamb that they did when they um, doing the Passover. Caiaphas, in my mind, if I can put it this way, was being Satan's number one man upon this earth. And if I were Satan, and I knew the prophecies of these uh, of, the, of this Passover happening um, year after year, and I understood all of that, it, one thing I would not do is let Select the lamb. Because all I got to do is stop one thing from happening and God's not true. Caiaphas selects the lamb. And he goes on to say, uh, he actually, it's a true statement. He actually prophesied and that one man should die for the people and that would be Jesus dying for us. So all of, our, all of us will not die. Then it goes on to say in John um, 11, then from that day um, forth, they took counsel together for, to put him to death. So they, uh, from that day forth, um, they decided they were going to kill him, and so Jesus walked no more openly among the Jews. Okay? We just read through the account of Jesus' day, dealing with the selection of the lamb. Now let's kind of compare them together. The lamb was to be selected, and Jesus was selected some days prior to, the, to being killed. Okay, And it was separated from the flock, and Jesus walked no more openly among the Jews. You're starting to see what's happening? This was given for us to be able to determine and know for sure who the Redeemer really was. Okay? Moving on. And ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, which, which, which is when they're going to kill it. And, um, and the 14th day is the day in which Jesus was killed because of this verse here. describes the timing. It says that they um, led Jesus... Um, from Caiaphas unto the Hall of Judgment. And it was early, and they themselves went not into the Judgment Hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. The Passover was going to take place that evening, and if they wanted to get in there, they would, they would not be clean, and they could not partake of the Passover. So we do find that the timing is coming out just right. They would sling the lamb together on the 14th, and the Passover lamb was to be eaten on the 14th. Okay, So we see how these things are coming together neither a bone shall be broken thereof this on exodus um, 12 46. and in john 1931 it goes right down to the details it says and the jews therefore because it was the preparation that'd be that'd be the friday that the body should not remain upon the cross on the sabbath day for that sabbath was a high sabbath we'll talk about that in a minute besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Okay, Then they came to the soldiers and break the legs of the first and the others which was crucified with them. Now remember, not a leg was to be broken, right? And here they're trying to break the legs. The devil is trying to do something right now to make the prophecies not come true. But when they come to Jesus, they saw he was already dead and they break not his legs. See, it was foretold by looking at the, the stories that are given us in the sanctuary and the services done in the sanctuary. It was to tell us time periods. It was to tell us about what Christ was going to do. It was designed for us to understand, not to misunderstand it. There, there A lot of it's imagery, yes. A lot of it is um, um, symbols, yes, but they're there. For us to understand, we know that the scriptures said there was not to be a a leg broken and there was not a leg broken uh, on Jesus as well. Jesus has fulfilled the Passover. Now, the next one, I find very interesting, starts the very next day after the Passover. In fact, sometimes they connect this day with that feast. But it's actually, it's a separate feast. It's the next day afterwards, okay? And this one's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Okay. In Numbers 28, 17, it talks about it being the 15th day of this month, the feast. Seven days shall unleavened bread be eaten. So you have the feast that starts right afterwards. Now, we, the preparation day was the Passover. That's when Jesus died, right? So the day afterwards would have been what? A Sabbath. Okay, now, look what takes place here. All right. So we have the 15th being on Sabbath... There was to be unleavened bread, and it was to be eaten for 21, uh, up to the 21st, it was seven days. Now, seven is a term for completeness. So once Jesus died, we are supposed to have a life without the malice and wickedness of the leaven. Do you realize what leaven does? You put a little bit of leaven in your bread, and over a course of time, it rises and it, it makes it expand. And that's the same thing it is with sin. And so basically, God said, because of Jesus' death upon the cross, we're to stay away from the sin. In fact, they were not to even have leaven in their cupboards. It was totally all wiped out of their homes. And so basically, it's telling you and I, it's it's what they did, but it's telling us what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to now live a life. We have someone who's died already for us. So if we make a mistake... We can deal with a mistake and get right with him right right away. We don't have to wait. So therefore, that's the condition he wants his people in. And he's talked about this here. But it was supposed to be um, eaten for the the rest of the, the time. But it says here that in verse 18 of chapter 28 of Numbers, it says, In the first day shall be a holy convocation. Okay? Ye shall do no manner of several work therein. This is another, this is what we call a ceremonial Sabbath, okay? So the day after the Passover, now keep this in mind, the Passover did not fall on the same day of the week every year. Just like your birthday that you had, there are some days uh, uh, that you, have your, you celebrate your birthday on the day of the week that you were born, but then the rest of the years, you're, you're not. Well, that's the same thing with the Passover, The Passover, this is the year that the Passover fell upon the Friday being the preparation day and then the next day being the Sabbath. So a ceremonial Sabbath and the weekly Sabbath have now come together. That's why they call it a high Sabbath, okay? So it's where a ceremonial Sabbath and a weekly Sabbath came together. And it's interesting, the first day of the week was the ceremonial Sabbath. The first, um, the The day that Jesus was in the tomb was after he redeemed man on the cross. You notice this? It says, um, our motive statement here, it says, when God finished creation, he rested on the seventh day of the week, right? Also known as as, uh, on the calendar, Saturday. Um, After Jesus finished the work for the redemption, he rested in the tomb on the seventh day, also known as the Sabbath. So this is, this, is, this is things that we can see that Jesus, even in his death, he rested on the Sabbath. It was still important to him then at that point. He could have started um, the, the feast of um, um, the waving the, the first fruits at that point. That's right. He could have done that. But he didn't. He had a, the day in which he was going to be a ceremonial Sabbath, which the day he was going to rest. And so anyways, the Sabbath was even kept in Jesus. Okay. And this is just Leviticus 23, 6, and 7 is the ceremonial Sabbath, the Passover. And then we have John 19, 31 is the verse showing that it was the high Sabbath. In case you want to write those down. Jesus has now filled the unleavened bread. The next one is the next day. That's the day that would be the, the wave offering, okay? That day falls on the 16th. So this is on the Sunday, okay? Now let's look what takes place there. Now... Moses was instructed to speak unto the children of Israel. This is found in Leviticus twenty three, ten. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel and saying to them, When ye be come unto the land which I will give unto thee when you come into Canaan, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first of your harvest unto the priest. So what you would do is you would come out of your 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 home, you're getting ready to go for that Passover week. Before you leave, you go out of your fields. And you look for the the, the the grain that was about ready to be eaten. You could have just at the point where the early harvest was taking place. You would take. You wouldn't eat any of it yet. You would take a portion of it and bring it with you as you came and you traveled to um, to Jerusalem. And you gave it there to Jerusalem. Uh, gave it to the priest. Then on the day after the Sabbath they would take that grain and move in into the holy place, stand there with the grain and wave it there in front of the veil, thanking God for the harvest they're getting ready to have. Okay, now look what happens now. Jesus is being raised that day. Okay, Jesus is raised that day. This is John chapter 20, verse 15. Uh, And Mary is there looking for Jesus and Jesus is, is already risen, but he's there in the garden, and Jesus says unto her woman, Why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, um, said unto him, Sir, if thou hast bore him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. So, Jesus, so she's wanting to, to find Jesus. She's not aware that he's really risen, right? That's when Jesus speaks, and now Mary hearing his voice, recognize who she is. So Mary turns herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to me, say, Master. So she's excited. She thought he was dead. So she's excited. So you can imagine what you're going to do when you meet somebody you you thought was dead or you haven't seen in a long time. You're going to want to go, go to them. This is when Jesus says to her, touch me not. Because he goes on, for I have not yet ascended unto my Father. So at this point of the day, Jesus is saying, don't. Touch me, I have not yet gone to the Father. Okay? But look at later in the day. Later that day, um, the disciples were in the upper room, and Jesus comes in the upper room, and in the upper room, when he walks in, this is Luke chapter 24, 36, it says, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood at the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Now this made them scared, because uh, they were were afraid, and they supposed they had seen a spirit. Okay? Then you find... um, Jesus says, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I, handle me. See, when Mary was there, he was saying, don't touch me. But now, later in the day, he's with the disciples, now he's saying, handle me. You see, because something took place from the time that Mary was there, and he came to the disciples, that was the wave offering. The wave offering was taking place on this earth. They were waving the sheaf there in front of the Holy... Holy place, most holy place, and Jesus Himself goes to heaven to stand before the Father in the most holy place. So you see how this is. In fact, it says in First Corinthians fifteen twenty. He says, "But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits. See the first fruits of them that are that sleep." So Jesus was went there, fulfilling the wave offering there. Okay. Now, so now we've gone to three of them. That was that was kind of a weekend. A long weekend right there, right? But, it goes, but now they're, they're going to go back to their homes and they're going to um, harvest, okay? So we're going to do the Feast of Weeks. So this is Leviticus 23, verse 15. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought your sheaves of uh, the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. So basically now he's saying, you, you're going to have seven, seven complete weeks after, after that Sunday. Okay, so that's going to take you down to the time in which the disciples met together in the upper room, which completes that particular cycle of what the, the, the Feast of um, uh, Pentecost was all about. That's when the disciples um, became a one accord, and that's when um, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples. That was on the day of, uh, day of Pentecost. Now, the day of Pentecost... Um, would fall um, 50 days afterwards. And they were when they came back, they were to bring with them a lot more grain with them, a bigger thank offering. And that's the 3,000 that were baptized in one day, the symbol that we find there. And that's, now, just so you do know, that as we're looking at these feast days that have made this fulfillment in time, understand something, the sanctuary has also made its fulfillment, correct? But do we not understand the value of, of Jesus dying upon the cross and we, ta- and we symbolically allow that to take place in our lives? Same thing with the feast days. They met the fulfillment when they did, but they still have that spiritual aspect that to help correct our lives, just like the sanctuary is there to help correct our lives. And so, but we don't run out there and grab the, the lamb and bring the lamb in and confess our sin over it and kill it like they did of old. Understand what I'm saying. These are designed to teach us how to know God and how to be right with God and all of these services that, that has been done so far pointed to Jesus and there's some spiritual applications that needs to take place in our lives and there will be another time because this is what we consider the early rain but there's going to be a latter rain and just so you do know do you when you look at the disciples did you see the little uh, fire on top of their heads and cloven tongues there I put that picture in there for a reason because it's when the sanctuary was finished upon this earth, when they had the prayer of dedication, fire comes down upon the altar of sacrifice and God's glory fills the temple. See, that was the earthly sanctuary. And the earthly sanctuary was nothing more than a way to show us what was going to happen to Christ and what's going to happen in this sanctuary as well. And so when the disciples received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it was nothing more than, the, than the, what took place when they finished building the earthly sanctuary. Remember, they were the complainers and arguing who's to be number one with Jesus, just right up to the time of his death. But once they go to the upper room, they put aside all that. Now they're ready. It's when the fire comes down and God's glory fills their temple. So understand that, it, that there has to be another time to take place like that in our lives. There's going to be a time that we put aside our differences. We're not going to be so, we're going to actually love one another. We're not going to actually worry about how somebody's dressed. We're going to not worry about what they're saying. We're going to be worried about them whether they're in the kingdom. And when that happens, something's going to happen. We're going to be one accord again. And we're putting aside our differences. And that same idea is going to happen again. So understand that, yes, they met their fulfillment, but there's still an application in my life. We're We're waiting for that. This temple is supposed to be being prepared for the latter rain. And that's what the sanctuary teaches us how to get it ready for the latter rain every piece of furniture gives you some indication on that now that we've already did that one so let's go now um, into the fall feast now i'm not going to spend as much time on these because we're running out of time okay the trumpets was to announce the arrival of the day of atonement and basically 10 days prior to the day of atonement they blew the trumpets and so now, if you were one of the Israelites and you heard those trumpets blowing, and you've heard them every year blowing about the same time, you knew the Day of Atonement was just ahead of you in 10 days. So now you have 10 days to really make sure everything's okay. I mean, you've been talking about it. You knew it's coming all along. You had every day the sanctuary was open at 9 and closed at 3, and they were killing the lambs, and you would kneel down, look towards the temple. You'd be sending your sins there. Everything's taking place, but yet now there's a time that you better make sure everything's really Right? And so you would make sure it was. And 10 days um, before the Day of Atonement, they blew the trumpets. Okay? Now, we find that God gave... That has already been fulfilled as well. It was fulfilled in the time dealing with the, um, the time of William Miller's day. Now, you'll notice that William Miller was the announcement ahead of time before the Day of Atonement began. You see, the, it was a large cry. It was a, it was a loud cry. Now, one might wonder, well... It was a false alarm because Christ didn't come. It was the wrong message. Let me explain something to you. You remember in Zechariah 9 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Remember that time? That's the triumphal entry, right? Were they excited? They threw down their garments, and they, but they misunderstood. They thought he was coming in to be king, right? If they would have known that he was coming in to die, you think they'd done the same thing? Same thing happened in 1844. Do you think the cry would have been as loud and brought everybody's attention to the fact that something's taking place in heaven if all it was, he was moving into the most holy place and it didn't mean that he was coming to be ready for him at that moment? You see, that's why God allowed them to to have that hand over their eyes, so to speak. But God ordained it to happen that way. It's found in the book of Revelation, chapter 10. He says, take the little book. Take and eat it. And it's going to be sweet in your belly, right? But as soon as you've eaten it, it's going to to be sweet in your mouth, but bitter in your stomach, right? That's the the loud cry of Christ's second coming when he didn't come. That was the great disappointment. So the idea of uh, looking back and saying they had the wrong information, No rather not I mean they thought that meant his second coming but it was really him moving from the holy in the most holy place now understand something if God went to that much trouble to explain the movement from the holy into the most holy place it's important for people to know what's going on in the most holy place and that's why our job is so important today because most people want to stay out in the courtyard in their walk with God they don't want to know the rest of the story, and that's our job to be able to not only live it so they can see it, but to be able to explain it to them. That's why we need to understand it for ourselves, so that we can save them from the time that the censor goes down and he comes and gets his people. Okay? Now, the feast of trumpets is already taking place. Now, this is the one that we're already this is the one that we're in right now. This is the day of atonement. This is a day in which we live in right now. And Daniel 8:14, the prophecy um, that we follow through that actually helps us find that date in, in, in history. So that's under 2,300 days, and shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So we have the, uh, the Day of Atonement. Now, there's one more yet to come. This one's the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the one that's yet to come, okay? Now, we're in, we're in one right now, and there's one more to come. And the one that come, what they would do is they'd come out of their homes and for um for 7 days they would be out of their homes and they'd live in booths okay and they, these um i guess today the, the the modern thing would be a tent come out of your nice dwelling and living in a tent but they would be out of their nice dwelling living in a booth okay made out of made out of um um different parts of um, um god's creation and so they um they would there be there and um for 7 days they would be there, to remind them of their travel from Egypt to Canaan, that forty years of wandering in the world is a reminder of that particular time, so now that 's the one that 's yet to come, and what I find interesting is they were on their way to Canaan, and we are on our way to canaan so there 's one yet to come our travels from Egypt to Canaan now i 'm um, going to tread softly on what I'm saying at this moment understand do not say that Mr. Lineweber told you when Christ is coming I do not know when he's coming but I will tell you this that feast there's a ceremonial sabbath was the first sabbath was a ceremonial sabbath and they stood in their tents for seven days then the day after the feast ended they had another ceremonial sabbath as i've looked at all the other prophecies the ceremonial sabbath pointed to the time that it becomes the real sabbath and so there's going to come a time in our lives that you you and i are going to reach the time where the censor is placed down once the censor's down there's absolutely nothing more you can do right now with the censors in hand yes you can do you can transfer your sins in the warning has been given the trumpets have been blown since 1844 But now the sensor goes down. It's not like, sorry, it's too late. You've had your chance. It's not, I mean, you will not make a choice difference. You've already made your choice where you're going to live. And the sensor's down, okay? So when that happens, the plagues fall. While the plagues are falling upon us, you and I are in the Jacob's time of trouble. You see what's happening? We're alive when all this is going on. There's no secret rapture at all. And you're alive, all this is going on, and you're sinking to yourself, well, we know it's done. Satan is hounding you. He can't really do anything to you, but he can get in your mind if he, to make you think that you weren't forgiven. That's the Jacob's time of trouble. You got to hold on to the by faith with what you believe that you did before the censor went down. And as you're holding on by faith, you're saying to yourself, I know he's coming. The feast day is going to be the Feast of Tabernacles. Maybe it's going to be this Sabbath. And you want to let go of it as the Sabbath moves on. And remember, you're hearing Mr. Lani where there's rendition here, okay? And then it disappears. You say to yourself, maybe it's the next Sabbath. The Sabbath becomes more important to us, I think, during that time because we're told by the pen of inspiration that we're going to travel how many days? Isn't that interesting? And then when we get there, there'll be that big feast. And it must be a Sabbath as well. If the day after the travel was the feast. Now, scratch all that out as me in fact. Just understood that I threw in my thoughts. Okay? On that. Okay? I try not to do a lot of that. But anyways. The Feast of Tabernacles represents Jesus leaving heaven. And coming to this earth to gather his people. And take them home. Okay. So basically this the same story has been told. Now... Um, you and I, in our lives, all of these stories are all telling the same thing. We're down at the end, waiting for the one thing to take place. We're in one, and we're waiting for the last one to take place. Looking at the the pathway back in, and I'm going to go through very quickly because I'm running out of the time, but this piece of furniture represents destruction of sin, okay? Starting over in the new birth is this piece of furniture here. In your walk, Um, the door of truth takes you into the where you have your study life. The word of God has your witness life, okay, and then has your prayer life, and then this is dealing with judgment, okay, the day of atonement, and this, of course, is God's law being put back into your heart. That's what's actually happening today during the day of atonement that's what he's actually trying to do he's trying to rewrite your law in your heart it isn't that all of, all of a sudden god's going to do something in your life and all of a sudden um, you have you've, you've come to the point where you're you've got his character no it's something that he's given you now little by little and it becomes your naturally to do like you breathe comes natural when he writes the law there it becomes who you are and that's what god is trying to do right now and over the course of time um, when he puts the censer down, then you're going to settle into how you've wanted to live and you won't be tempted by Satan any longer. So this is this is the walk that we're doing, okay? Now, Satan's got to destroy the walk, okay? So, uh, the second coming is what's left to come. That's what that slide was for, okay? Okay, so I'm going to jump into the Dark Ages and show you something here that you might find very interesting. Because during the Dark Ages, now it was in Daniel chapter 8.13, it was described that um that the sanctuary is going to be trodden underfoot and so is the ho- the saints the host and um that there's no sanctuary during the time of the dark ages and the heavenly sanctuary satan can't touch so reality what he does is he takes the the, the what the sanctuary represents how it represents his us and uh, how to change our life what what the symbols of the sanctuary represents he was changing the beliefs of these symbols and stamping them out during the dark ages so i'm going to show you some some things that took place um, during the dark ages okay the altar of sacrifice um, was the symbol of jesus one-time death to pay it all for righteousness the righteousness by faith whereas during the dark ages what was being taught during this time period now remember, Satan's trying to stamp down the sanctuary. He's got to get the sanctuary out of everybody's mind because God's ways in the sanctuary. He's got to make you think that you have to buy your forgiveness, okay, or you have to beat yourself up to have forgiveness, okay. That's exactly what was being taught. Now remember, the Dark Ages is twelve hundred sixty years. So if you were a believer in um, righteousness by faith and you died off, and then years and years have gone by, chances are the belief would be gone too except for that little group that was hidden off into the wilderness, right? They, kept, they fled to the wilderness. The Bible talks about them. We know them as the Waldensians, right? So we do know God kept it, but yet in the, the large sense, it was being taken care of. And so that's what you would have believed during the Dark Ages. So I want to put yourself in the Dark Ages as one inside, not as the Waldensians, but somebody else inside the church system okay, the sacrifice of Jesus was one time, and of course, they, they brought in this Eucharist, which was to be miraculously made into the body of Christ, and Jesus basically died over and over again in this particular belief, and, um, but he doesn't do it, he only died one time, and his death was, was sufficient, okay, then you have um, a common belief that I, th- I believe it was actually practiced before they go into the dark ages, but you know, more so in the dark ages that they, they, um, they started the, um, the pouring and the, and the sprinkling of, of, of the children um, instead of the um, full immersion that the Bible speaks of, of baptism. So in a sense, now we've lost two symbols of the sanctuary and, he, and you would not be practicing these, these symbols in the sanctuary. And then, of course, the Bible was taken away. You could not have a Bible. If you had a Bible, it was taken away from you. It was burned. You could be beaten or even killed because of of even trying to share the Bible to anybody. And they took the Bible, and they basically were saying that we're the ones to explain the Bible to you into your language. You can't have one. so, in a sense, that piece of furniture was stamped out also in the Dark Ages, the, the Word of God. Then, of course, the witnessing, and, and the prime example of the witnessing is those who were put in prison because they were trying to say them something against what was being taught, um, and so you would be put in prison. So the witnessing was totally taken out as well. And then, of course, the altar of incense is our prayers to the Father, and then we find that the um, confessional booth was the, um, the substitute for the prayer. So that piece of furniture was taken out, then, of course, the, the Ark of the Covenant was taken out with a belief of purgatory. There's no judgment. Don't worry about it. Just you keep paying your money and brother so-and-so or your uncle or your aunt or somebody, they're almost there. You keep praying. We'll get them sent over, that kind of thing. Okay? And then we have the law of God. The law of God was to be um, stamped out in the Dark Ages, and it was as well. The Second Commandment was um, changed, um, was deleted, I'm sorry. The fourth commandment was changed and the tenth commandment was divided into two so you could still have ten commandments, okay? And so all this was done during the dark ages and this was foretold to take place. And I know it was done that way by God because God foretold it to take place. And I understand now in my mind looking back why it took place because now Satan has had full opportunity to show who he really is. And there's no doubt now, now we're at the darkest time of Earth's history everything dealing with thy way god in the sanctuary, everything is being pushed out it almost appears that satan had finally won except that small group hidden in the wilderness right look what happens a man 800 years of the dark ages named named john wycliffe brings back and translates the word of god he starts getting the word of god into the common people's hands right then then 100 years later you have a man named martin luther who realized, I mean, after he was beating himself up and doing all his pilgrimages on his knees, he recognized, wait a minute, I don't have to do all of that. It's righteousness by faith. And he brings back that. And so here I am looking at the Lutheran movement, and I'm thinking, wow, if I was alive in that time and I was embracing the truths that were being brought out, I would have been a Lutheran. God used the Lutheran to bring back a belief that we hold dear today, and it represents the altar of sacrifice. Moving on, we find the Presbyterian movement. They're dealing with the prayers. We pray directly to God. So what I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is God raised up churches all through time, and now the Presbyterian, they bring back a movement. We owe our debt of gratitude to the ones who gave their lives to bring back this truth because if they were teaching this during the Dark Ages, they were buried alive, burned, and all this kind of stuff, because, and standing for the truth that they were bringing back. Then we have the, the Baptist movement. So as I'm embracing all the truths, I'm going to now be a Baptist at this point in time of earth's history. But as time goes on, we find that John Wesley brings back the candlesticks, which I find is very interesting because he brings it back during the time of the, that we find the Dark Ages is ending. The light comes back, the witnessing. And so here I am, if I'm embracing all the truths, I would have been a Methodist during this time. And then, of course, we have the William Miller's Day, um, the cleansing of the sanctuary, and so I would then join the movement of the, of, the, of the Millerites at that moment. But you know what? There's still one more article to be brought back. All these have been brought back. And we owe, we owe a great thanks and gratitude to everyone who has brought these pieces of furniture back, but there's one more left to be brought back. That is the law of God. See, that's the thing that was inside the ark. What we forget is God gave the law to them at the beginning and gave it to them, right? And he gave it to them. Then he says, now build me the ark and build me the house to put it inside of. That's the way that's left to be brought back. He's, and he's called us to bring back the law of God. Nothing has changed. And the church that he's called to bring back, is, of course, is the Seventh-day Adventist church brothers and sisters, I have covered more stuff today than you probably um, could keep up with me on, but I hope that it gives you a better understanding what God has called us to do. The sanctuary is important for us to understand. You need to know for yourself, otherwise you will not occupy the position that God designs you to fill in the last days. And, oh, I want to do the work God wants me to do in the last days, don't you? And so, God has called you and I not only, I mean, the law is to be written in our hearts. So, when they look at me, they should see me. I'm sorry, they should see Christ, not me. And everything that I do, they should see Christ. And so, therefore, understand something else that there are many precious truths contained in the Word of God. The messages are being brought back, is God's law being written in the heart, in the sanctuary teaches that we're in the last moments of earth's history every prophecy teaches we're in the last moments of earth's history the seven candlesticks the church of latency it's the last church everything is at the end and brothers and sisters we're alive to be a we're we're alive and we're allowed to be a part of this time of earth's history well let's um have a word of prayer our loving father in heaven i want to thank you so much for the blessing that you were to us and the time that you spent with us here I pray, Father, that the words that were given will be used in the hearts of everyone that was here. The Holy Spirit will be able to guide and direct them as they put them to study and put them to practice in their lives. And I pray, Father, that there was nothing done here today that, will, that would glorify the devil in any way, shape, or form. Bless each one here. Give them a closer walk with you. And make sure when you come, that this is a group that's standing and you say, here's my people who oh, I am well pleased. And I pray this in Jesus' name.